0: Hello, hello. My name is April Malone with Yes, I Work From Home, and this is the podcast. Today I have Paul Glover. He is out of Downers Grove, which is a Chicago suburb um, in Illinois. Uh, he is a performance improvement coach. Did I get that right? It's performance. I said it wrong. <laughs>
1: No, you didn't. Performance and improvement, sure.
0: Is it okay? I got it right. Absolutely. So why don't yeah. you take it from here, Paul? Please. <laughs> I will.
1: Actually, I bill myself as a no BS workplace performance coach. Uh, so yes, it's all about coaching. It's all about coaching for performance. I am not a life coach. You would not want me in that position. I, I I'm much more structured as a recovering attorney. So we're all about action plans and uh, reaching specific goals that uh, create legacy. Uh, I don't believe that uh, someone should enter into a coaching uh, relationship and not have legacy goals. Uh, it's, it's always good to get in, to improve, baby steps are fine, but you have to have something at the end of that uh, coaching process that matters a lot because it's and, and and being coached is difficult.
0: When you say legacy goals, do you mean financial goals?
1: No, not necessarily. It could be uh, workplace goals. Uh, if you're leading a team, uh, what do you want your legacy to be when you hand that team off? Uh, when you are doing financial goals, uh, what are those goals? Are they realistic? Uh, and if they are, what are you doing as an action plan to get there? So action plans to me is how people actually, or, or how people actually accomplish their goals. Uh, most people have a, have a goal, they just uh, are tr- still trying to figure out how to get there. Coaches are all helping you establish the action plan, and then making sure you actually execute.
0: Now, you have been working from home for like twenty years. Was all of this always the performance improvement coaching, or is it other stuff too?
1: No, nope, all that. Uh, I am a recovering lawyer, uh, no longer practice law, and I found that I had a rather unique uh, skill set. That, uh, as I thought about it, and that skill set, the elements of it. I decided that I, I would be a good coach because what I bring to the coaching process is very relevant to leaders. Uh, and so I started off and uh, developed a national coaching program. I currently have 45 clients, uh, and it's, uh, throughout the United States, uh, and, uh, I'm successful at it, but I tell people my legacy is reflected in the people I coach when they're successful, that is my legacy. Uh, because as I tell people, coaches don't directly contribute, right? That's up to whoever they're coaching to take what they've learned or what they, they've decided on, uh, and applying that. And, and I'm there to help. Uh, I tell people that, that one of the, uh, one of the ways I address myself based off of a client was I'm a Sherpa. I, <laughs> I, uh, I'm not gonna, climb the mountain for you i'm going to be there with you for the journey and and again i believe that it is a mountain if we're not talking about climbing the mountain we only want to climb a hill you really need to talk to somebody else because i don't have the patience for that but if you're telling me this is my mountain that i'm climbing and at the end of that i want to have achieved something and here's what i want to have achieved then i will assist you i will carry some of the pack Whenever you get tired, I'm going to encourage you. Uh, whenever you stop being committed, I'm going to tell you that that that's unacceptable. That our sure, relationship... they
0: like a guy, they know the way.
1: Oh, absolutely. You, you know, the way I've been up the mountain before I tell you that that I know that you're unique, but most of the issues we'll talk about uh, I've had experience with because I've coached leaders and we're all human beings and we all share a lot of the same issues especially leadership. Uh, So yes, I'm going to be able to uh, to guide you. And uh, I'm not most coaches do not favor my approach, by the way, because if you're going down for the third time in the deep end of the pool, I'm not going to still ask you, can you figure this out? I, I think that saving someone when you recognize they don't know what they don't know, it's my job to help them. And, and a part of that is to talk about the situation so they have enough information to be able to make a decision rather than continue to struggle. I don't understand the concept of struggling. Uh, if there's a way to make it simple, we should do that. Because- so rather than just enough.
0: letting people struggle and watching them struggle, you're like- Oh,
1: absolutely. Okay. Like I, I can't be a bystander. See, that to me is being a bystander coach. I'm gonna, I'm gonna set, I'm going to stand there and watch until you figure it out. I'll keep saying things. I'll keep asking you questions. And well, I just, so you understand how that, how that level of commitment, uh, is established. Uh, I don't take any compensation until we're finished with the coaching period. Really end of that. If we have not reached the goals that have been set, I don't get paid.
0: Mm.
1: However, I also believe that if I'm willing to put my skin in the game, that that's something most coaches don't do, right? Uh, Because I've got time and energy, but now I'm putting resources in, I expect a a equal commitment from the person in the coaching process. So when we have established what you're going to do between this call and the next call, do it. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do it, then we have to have a serious accountability conversation. Now, if you can tell me why, and I understand, what, we'll, we'll work that out. If you tell me you didn't have time, I'm not happy.
0: <laughs> Sounds like a trusting relationship.
1: Oh, absolutely. And by the way, isn't that how? Of course. Uh, coaching is absolutely about developing the psychological safety to be honest with each other. And to me, every meaningful relationship has got to have that as the basis. Otherwise, it can't be meaningful. If I'm afraid to tell you the truth, how can we have a trusting relationship? How can it be meaningful?
0: So before we started recording, we chatted a little bit about um, a talk that you have that you've given about um, everyone needs to have a fool in their life. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that relates to what you were just saying?
1: Sure. Uh, first, I'll explain that, that the title of that talk, which I hope to do as a TED talk, uh, is, uh, is based off of the relationship between the king and the gesture. Now, the gesture, if you look at a, any picture of the king at the bottom of the throne, uh, someone dressed in a multicolored uniform, a costume, uh, is down there. And, and we, we look at that and we go, well, that's the guy that made the king laugh. Right. They jumped up, they capered, they told jokes, invitations, whatever they did. Uh, but the reality was that's not what the fool did, Uh, because the King had been anointed by God to be King. He was infallible because to question, the King was to question God. And so anyone who questioned the King's decisions, uh, committed the crime of heresy and heresy was punishable by death. However, everyone knew that the king was still a human being who made mistakes. So the issue was, how do you tell the king he's making mistakes and not get killed? Well, the the creation of the gesture or the fool was the solution to that. The fool was actually a trusted advisor to the king because he was viewed as insane. He was not held accountable to his words or his actions. So he could actually tell the king when they were making a mistake and he had the psychological safety of being viewed as insane that protected him. So I look at the concept of having a fool in your life and the title of the title of the talk is everyone needs a fool in their life. Everybody does, we need someone that we, we trust, but also cares enough about us that they will tell us the truth. But that only works if we give them the psychological safety to do so. There can't be negative backlash when someone tells you the truth. If there is, the relationship doesn't work and people won't tell you the truth. Leaders have so many filters between themselves and what they think is happening and what's really happening that you need to have a fool who has the psychological safety to tell the leader the reality. And go through those filters. I think just about every relationship that's meaningful, you've got to have someone in your life that's your fool.
0: That you can trust enough and not backlash and be mad and cut them out because you think they're toxic. It's it's that's gonna be a hard line to draw these days. You know, everyone's relationships are being reevaluated, it feels in my life and other people's that I've talked to. Um, you know, people not agreeing about certain things. Can you talk a little bit about setting boundaries in that setting?
1: Oh, absolutely, uh, and, and that that is uh, very important, especially today. Uh, it, it always has been. Relationships are difficult. At best, they're difficult. Personal relationships, the closer that you get, are even more difficult. And so we have what I call circles of love that work their way, ripple out. The first circle of love, of course, is uh, ourselves, our significant others. Then we get to our children, then we move to our relatives, then we move out to our best friends and we move out to acquaintances. So the circle of love ripples out, Uh, but each one of those circles has to have boundaries about it because we have to feel comfortable and trusting enough to be able to talk to this person about personal and sensitive issues. Uh, but we also have to respect their position. They have their own, their own thoughts about things. And so we have to establish a relationship based on boundaries. And that means I, I am willing to respect your boundaries once I know what they are. And this is where we run into trouble. Most of the time we're not doing that. We're not saying, let's see what our boundaries are. We're just blundering ahead saying things even when we are looking at the person or interacting with the person and we realize that they're upset because we believe we can convince people to do what we want persuade them to our perspective point of view uh and, and that's a difficult task and second you, you have to be very cautious about that because just because i tell people just because i tell you the truth doesn't mean you don't find me annoying <laughs> I, annoying because I'm telling you something you may not want to hear. So we have to be able to have that interchange and not allow it to become toxic or dysfunctional. If we don't establish boundaries, relationships will be dysfunctional and eventually will be toxic.
0: Well, and we can't always take everybody's advice either. We might disagree, but maintaining that relationship and salvaging it even after we disagree can be tricky too.
1: Well, it can be, and, and you're absolutely correct. Uh, I, part of my coaching is I tell people, uh, "This is my opinion. This doesn't mean that you should do it. You should do it only if it's comfortable and meets aligns with your values." Mm-hmm. Talking about relationships, a lot of that is about values. But and and so exploratory part of any relationship is discovering that, and that means we have to be open to hearing it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not that relationship is never going to be meaningful. So, so as, and I'll use the coaching relationship uh, because it's not personal, but I have to care. I have to be, I, I tell people, I am, I am first, I am always curious, but I am empathetically curious. And that allows me to ask the question and then be okay with the answer. And hmm. That's where, we, that's where we, we normally mess up our relationship. We're not curious enough to find out about the other person before we start telling them about us. And that's where it breaks down immediately. You've got to be willing to understand the other person to have a meaningful relationship. I believe that's empathetic curiosity. And, and you, keep, you ask people questions. And based off of that, you understand their value system and you recognize why they do what they do. Now, if it's unacceptable to you, you make the decision about pushing them farther out into the circles of love, right? I I can't, we can't stay close friends because I got married, you didn't. And suddenly we don't have common ground. Our opinions are different about a lot of things and we no longer are connecting. Right, you can always tell when you're connecting with something there, and I I say that that's an exchange of positive energy. I've got 45 people I talk to every other week, and some coaches go, "That's impossible. You can't you can't do that. That's too many." And the only way I do that is because in my and because of how I vet people who are in my coaching program, we have an exchange of energy every time we talk. And in the pandemic, I took on more stress from, from those people that I normally would, because that's a part of that exchange. They needed to be stress. When you think about leaders, uh, if their team is suffering and they're a good leader, an empathetic leader, they will, like, they will take stress from their team. What do you do with that? Right? You, you've got to dissipate. Uh, One way to do it is in the coaching program because I'm more than willing to help you de-stress, which means I'm more than willing to take it on. By the way, I have to get rid of it too. (laughs) I can only tell you that if you don't figure out how to get rid of stress, eventually it breaks you down. Uh, So so that was a part of the process. and, and, uh, And so when I look at the exchange of energy, I believe that's in every relationship. And if it's not there, if you don't feel it, Again, that that takes them out. It's not that they can't be acquaintances, but I suggest that they're not gonna be a friend or a close friend. And by the way, just because people are related, doesn't mean we necessarily have a good relationship with them. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I, I think that I work with family businesses and it's the most dysfunctional business organization you can have where the family is not only a family, but they're in the business.
0: Oh, wow, yeah.
1: Oh my goodness. Yeah, half half of my time is mediating. Uh, but but that's okay. I mean, I and we're, we're still a stand. That doesn't mean they don't love each other. It's just mm-hmm. different opinions about how the business should be run. Well, well you when get we outside. go
0: ahead. Well, we first started talking before we started recording. You asked me, um, you know, why do you do the podcast, you know, who is this for, or, you know, what's the purpose or something like that. And I think that was your way of trying to get to know how I'm thinking. And Absolutely caring and I appreciate that because you know a lot of people come onto a podcast you know for a way to plug their business or you know I mean to be online or something like that but I can tell that you care
1: well and thank you and and by the way I do that first I believe that if you're going to have we're having a meaningful conversation as far as I'm concerned right it's an exchange of ideas I know I'm talking a lot more than you are but that's the privilege of being the guest (laughs) so you're asking the Empathetic questions, the curiosity questions, which I think are essential for a, a meaningful conversation. Uh, you know, if all I want, if you've got somebody, all I want to do is tell you how much money I make or, or wow, I could really use some clients, hope somebody's out there. Uh, that doesn't work real well for this, at least it doesn't for me. Uh, so no, I do this because first I'm, I am, again, I'm infinitely curious, especially about podcasters, I, because <laughs> a lot of work, it's, it truly is, it's a dedication. Uh, back to commitment. I'm huge on commitment. Uh, to be an effective podcast host, you have to be committed to this process. And uh, so, I like to I like to know something about the the people who are doing this. Uh, and so, yeah, it's uh, it's it's just part of the coaching. It's part of my coaching mentality. I like and it. Commit to somebody. I can't coach them.
0: I wanted to go back to something that you said a minute ago. When you're talking about your circles of love or the relationships. Yes. And what about the single people? Because I am married and I do have children and, you know, my extended family, I have a big extended family. Um, I'm one of 10 kids and, you know, have, I'm an extrovert. So I have made a lot of friends in the different places that I've lived, which has been quite a few places actually. But I also have friends who are my age who never married and it could have been me. I was 31 when we got married. So what does that circle of relationship look like for someone who say, is single and maybe doesn't live in, in close proximity with their their family
1: well it, it's it, it's I'm, I'm always amazed at how how people have responded to remote work because they they find it difficult and i relate that to exactly the relationship you're talking about we had a really strong relationship because we spent time college is always a good place right uh we were roommates and we, we went two or three years so we had experience we had common ground but then what i moved to new york you moved to chicago and suddenly it's a long distance relationship well well that doesn't mean it can't work it just means it's extra effort Look at working from home the same way i go it doesn't mean we don't have a relationship but it is different uh and i need to respect that difference for instance uh what you just say about what just said about friends who now are not married you are you have a family uh can you share that interest? Of course you can, but I guarantee you that at some point there has to be that level of that, that level of common ground that you still share. Now, the less common ground there is, the less likely it is the relationship is going to survive. But tell you that I have um, relationships that are one day a year relationships. yeah. Yeah, there's somebody comes to town and they get in touch and they go, let's have, let's have coffee. And I go, sure. And we catch up right i find out about them they find and by the way i you know i do the questions empathetic questioning and then we do, then they disappear for another year we may or may not do a little bit of uh, a social media uh but i don't like social media as a way to maintain relationships yeah uh, so so yeah i'm willing to accept that for what it is uh, but i also know that there are people that i've been in my life that i've made the decision that they are toxic to me they are dysfunctional by the way I'm very honest about it my sister and I had she died I had a toxic relationship and I refused to interact with her in any way Hmm. because she sucked the life out of me and she used our relationship as the way to do that and at some point it didn't matter that she was related to me sister it mattered that the relationship was toxic so so we can't allow people to. Impinge upon us, saying I'm related to you. You owe me,
0: mm.
1: and you owe me time and energy because whenever I get in a bind, I'm going to call you, and, and and you better come because we're related. And I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> first couple of times, yeah. After that, no. Uh, so we so we have to look at people uh, not as not as having. Familiar relationship, but whether or not it's a meaningful relationship, that that is reciproc there, there has to be reciprocity in relationships. Right, I'm giving to you. That's okay. Except there has to be some give back. Right, we've got to do a give and take. Now, if you be more this time than last time, I'm okay with that. But at some point, I need to see that there's at least something coming back to me. And by the way, people don't like that. They like to say, well, I'm I'm self-sacrificing. No, you're not. You just keep telling yourself that because it pisses you off that you're not getting anything outside the relationship and you're not willing to cut it loose. And my deal is that's hurting you. You are becoming bitter. Now, you can disguise it. You can hide it. And by the way, every once in a while, I run across a martyr. But let me tell you what happened to martyrs. They were killed.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: No martyr lived. They wouldn't have been a martyr if they lived. They were killed. So I look at that and I go, yeah, the outcome is not good for being a martyr. As long as you know that, okay.
0: One of the things that I was thinking as you were talking about the, the, the closest that you can feel with people when you have similar interests and shared experiences I feel like there's I can compart, compartmentalize a little bit. Like I have my friends who we have kids who are the same age who go to the same school and we can connect on that level. But I have other friends who I do agree with more politically, um you know, we've had a more similar experience in the pandemic. We have you know similar ideas, um goals, values, and things like that. And even though they might not have kids or, you know, the same, you know, geographical area, that one day a week or one day a month, the one day a year is what you said, coffee date, I can still feel very, very close to that person during that time.
1: Oh, absolutely. The common ground is there, even though you don't visit it often.
0: Yeah.
1: Fan bases. I'm always curious. I'm a Bears fan, which is like being hit in the head with a crowbar every day. Uh, (laughs) But i share a a, a uh, allegiance with people that i don't know because periodically we all gather in the stadium or i've got a group i watch the games with and we may not have a lot of outside interest but it but that also is is boundaries right we're all there to cheer the bears on uh that's our common ground and it's strong enough to get me to go to a stadium with sixty thousand other fans by the way fans is short for fanatic (laughs) and you show up and you act like it idiot cheering your team but that is that can be a powerful common ground so no it just depends. However, that that's good for 16 Sundays a year. Yeah, Then I don't want to hear from you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to talk about them after that. <laughs> so so but 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 we get to establish those compartmentalized friends. Absolutely. And they're valuable. They really are. And they're valuable as long again, as you feel that that reciprocity, that connection, once that dissipates, for whatever reason, Time to let them go, because hanging on really serves no purpose.
0: Right, or let them back off into the deep, the other rings. Absolutely, okay. absolutely. How does this uh, connect to the performance coaching?
1: Well, uh, because we we establish our common ground, a common goal, and that becomes our connection, and from that point on. It's not going to go outside that, by the way. I'm not going to be friends with you. Mm-hmm. That that suddenly reduces my, and, and it's amazing how people want to be friends because they think you'll like them better. And it's not my job to like you. I, I can respect you, and maybe I will like you. Likeability is a good trait to have. But I, uh, with leaders in particular, I will have people in the coaching program that are not likable. And it was interesting. I had a conversation a couple of years ago with the president of a company. And and he said, you know, Paul, I really enjoy the coaching sessions, but I would never go to dinner with you. And I said, what makes you think I want to have dinner with you? He was like, really? I said, yeah, really. (laughs) We don't want to do it, but believe me, uh, the issue of having internal coaches versus external coaches Huge difference. If I'm your employee, you look at me and what I have to say completely differently than you do when I'm an independent contractor. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it's just, it's psychological, but so much of relationships, psychological. Positivity, negativity, ba- I mean, we're constantly reevaluating, re-evalu- or should be reevaluating our relationship. I tell people at the end of the year, you need to sit down and look at those relationships. You need to reflect because guess what they're taking time and energy and resources in some fashion. And you need to make a determination. Is that where I want to spend my time, energy, and resources next year? So you list out, like I said, I like the circles. I use it all the time. The circles of love, you list them out and you place them in those circles and you can move people. You can say, I I really enjoy talking to that person every month. Now I'm going to move them into the (laughs) every six months. Why? Eh, You know, something maybe I don't enjoy it as much anymore. And by the way, the pandemic has done that. It's created a different set of barriers to relationships. Uh, and so you have to look at that and go, am I willing to tolerate that barrier that we didn't have before? It just didn't exist. Suddenly it does now, and I need to determine whether or not it it is okay with me from a well-being perspective, or is it starting to, to hurt me? Is it starting to suck energy out of me every time I talk to you? Because I can tell the tension that exists between us is, is a barrier that we're, we're not able to get through. Mm. Uh, People are either able to do that to, to accommodate the other position or not. But if you can't, then the question is, should we continue the relationship? Because it's not meaningful and it's not healthy. Being in negative relationships, being in a toxic relationship, hurts you. Uh, that's, that works with individuals as well. You do not if you're shortening your life with toxic relationships, and sometimes we get stuck in them for a variety of reasons. And we stay there, you constantly hear about people who are in bad marital relationship and it, and it's, by the way, it's for the kids. Oh my God. You know what you're doing for your kids? You're making them terrible adults. Because if you think they don't recognize the tension and the stress in that relationship, they're actually impacted by that. So don't pretend it doesn't exist and don't pretend you can hide it. You can't. You have to acknowledge it and do something about it. If you can't do anything about it, then perhaps it's time to say, I'm going to give this relationship up. It's bad for both of us, but I know it's bad for me. I think it's bad for you. I I can tell you, I had one coaching client that at the end of a year, I enter into annual contracts. I said, look, this is not working. You have not done a single thing that we agreed you were gonna do over 12 months. And I've been on your butt every other week. And he was like, "I no, don't, I, I really am getting a lot out of this. I was like, huh, okay. I said, well, I'll tell you the deal. Uh, I'm increasing the coaching fee for you by 30%. And he said, well, for everybody? No, just for you. This is my pain in the ass premium. Now I'll continue with you because I can at least justify my time based on the additional money. We did this for two years in a row. And every year I said, another 30% increase, he would go for everybody? No, nope, just for you. And so the third year I said, another 30%. He said, well, I can't afford that. Good, quit. <laughs> now, I guess I could have bailed. I mean, I should have, I know in retrospect, I should have said the money doesn't matter, but I thought, let me see if I can charge this guy more money and he will actually engage in the coaching process. It kind of was a litmus test. Didn't work. Mm-hmm. In retrospect, I should have cut him loose, but eh, what? the money was good. <laughs> I, I, I have to, <laughs> Enough to want to get paid. And he paid. I was like, okay. So we would have an interesting conversation every other week. And then the following two weeks, I would go, what did you do? He would say nothing. I'd chew his ass and then we'd move on. <laughs> so it was um, a yeah, abusive relationship on both sides.
0: <laughs> so speaking to coaches, life coaches, performance coaches, productivity coaches, um, at what point would you consider a client to be a toxic relationship you should cut out?
1: To be in my toxic relationship with me.
0: No, like um, uh, if you're speaking to coaches, like when would you advise someone cut
1: someone out? Oh, what you can tell if first. Every coach needs to have a good B.S. detector. It has to be built in because your clients will lie to you if they think they can get away with it. And again, I believe that the test is commitment. That's why I'm very, I tell people I'm an acquired taste. Only 20% of the people who are referred to me ever go into a coaching relationship because after we've had the first conversation, they recognize that I, I know that this is going to be hard and the hardest people to coach are those that are successful because when you tell them, I want you to change because that's how you get better they are resistant
0: it's working for me you say what <laughs> would they just tell you but why would you break something that's not broken or fix, to fix something that's not broken okay
1: and and that that's exactly what they're saying and their, their response is well i wanted i wanted you to and i go do what I, tell me what you want to do in this in this coaching relationship because if you're already successful then i'm not sure why you're here but let me tell you why you should be here Being successful has nothing to do with tomorrow. Tomorrow is a different day and it requires a different set of skills. If you want to talk to me about potential, stay in the program. If you want to talk to me about legacy, stay in the program. If you want to tell me how successful you are, don't waste my time. I'm not impressed. I want to, I want to, those are the two things I want to talk about. And if the person says, okay, I've been thinking about it because what I do, we do a taster. I believe we do one taster, right? So we got one hour and this is the conversation we have. Uh, and at the end of that, I say you now need to think about whether or not you're willing to commit because it's a 12 month deal. And if you bail after we start, you pay me the whole 12 months, even though we might've only been doing this a month. However, if at the end of this, we did not accomplish what we set out to accomplish, you pay me nothing. Commitment, right? I'm I'm committing compensation. You should commit compensation and time and energy. So that's how we get to it. I mean, that's how I get to it. And when I recognize that you are no longer committed, it will be when you're not doing what you've agreed to do, the action plan. Hmm. Here's the goal, we've got a deadline, 12 months. Then we break it down into the action steps. Here's what you're gonna do to achieve the goal. We may have two or three goals, more than three, by the way, three goals at one time, right? Uh, For instance, everybody believes that as a leader, they're a great communicator. That's because they believe in telepathy. (laughs) They believe if they think it, you know it, you hear it. So the first thing we work on is effective communication. Then we do something different. We do a, a 360 degree review of the people that report to you. And it comes through me. So it's anonymous. And based off of that, you realize that you suck because you're the third party. Absolutely. Uh, They're not they're not telling him or her, but they will tell me because I tell them, do you want this person to get better? And they say, please, God, let him get better. They're killing me. And you go, then you need to take this 360 degree review and be honest. It's coming back to me, I'm going to collate all of them. And then I'm going to sit down and tell him the results. Shocks every leader.
0: They're not stroking their ego anymore.
1: Oh, absolutely not. No stroking. We're through with that. Uh, we're like, uh, by the way, I'm going to tell you the truth, the fool, because I've got the psychological safety to do it. They don't. And everybody goes, no, that's not true. Oh yeah. It's absolutely true. You know how I know this because of your reaction to what they just told you. You've never heard this before that you suck, that, that you can't communicate that no one, whatever someone gets done with a conversation with you, they have to get an interpreter to tell them what you said. Oh, absolutely. Uh, that, that you don't explain your expectations. Uh, we don't, we're not sure what the course of action is, all of these things. So yeah, I, I go through the entire litany of first ethics. Uh, it's always interesting how many team team members look at their leader and go, I can't trust him with a secret. Hmm. Tell him something he will tell someone else. Oh, seriously. And you think they're going to tell you the truth anyway. So based upon that, so it's not my opinion. It's their opinion. We now are able to start working on improving.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's uh, very simple, but very hard.
0: Sounds like you are a tough love coach.
1: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And by the way, I'm, I'm as committed as you are, but, but once we've agreed on commitment that I, 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 it is, it is not optional. You can bail. I'm okay with that no one should be forced to stay in a coaching program mm-hmm. even though some people are because their boss has told them if you don't get better I'm going to fire you and here somebody's going to help you get better That's a very reluctant person obviously to have in a coaching program mm-hmm. but they also know that the outcome is necessary and they know that I'm the one that's going to produce that outcome they can't do wrong. and so no it's a uh, it, is, uh, it is tough love, tough caring.
0: I want to hear about how and why you started working from home. Do you want to go back in time and tell us a little bit more about how you ended up being a former lawyer?
1: Sure. Well, first I went to prison, uh, and, and I was a lawyer before that. I love being a lawyer, by the way. that's a, it's a, I'm an adrenaline junkie, and being a trial lawyer is the ultimate in adrenaline. You're in front of the jury. In fact, I often tell people it's as close to – trial by combat as you can get. It's hand-to-hand combat with a adversary, the other side, there's a referee, the judge, make sure that you don't kill each other. And then you've got a jury. And it's your job to represent your client and convince the jury, persuade the jury, uh, to see, not only see your side, but, but to agree with it. And, the, the concept of this is interesting. People don't understand how this occurs, because we, we see too much court TV yeah. and we believe that it's about the facts. No, it's about the narrative. The narrative is what the jury wants to hear, the story. You have to have the facts, but you have to weave it into the narrative and you have to be able to give them the story. So it's performance art. And if you're good at it, you emotionally connect with the jury because people make decisions based on their emotional response to the other person. We, we, we cloak that in rationality, right? <laughs> That's not how decisions are made. We, we, start with, I want that. Now can I justify it? and that's how we purchase stuff right i want that shirt can i justify it? yes it'll make me look good on zoom <laughs> we'll buy it <laughs> uh, you don't need it you got 40 shirts i need that shirt <laughs> right so so the concept of of connecting emotionally with the uh, with the jury was you had to develop a narrative that included the facts and i, t- I told them every every trial I took the jury on the, I took the jury on the hero's journey, right? Because my client had to become the hero or he would lose. Now the other side's trying to show that he's not the hero. he's the villain. So I would, I would craft a hero's journey, a narrative, that I would then take the jury on with me. And if I was successful at the end, they would find my client prevailed. Uh, It's amazing to me that that is something that leaders need to develop because we seem to believe if we can pull out an Excel sheet and show people the numbers that we're going to get what we want. And the first thing I tell leaders is behind every number is a face. And if you can't connect with that face because that face generates that number, that number by, it does not exist by itself. And it certainly doesn't exist because of you. It exists because of the person who generated that number. And your obligation is to connect with them so that they understand the purpose of this journey you're on together. And that's a narrative. So that I bring to the conversation with leaders, I say, "What? Tell me your narrative. What narrative?" I, I I get up in front of them and I tell them the facts, and I'm like, "Yeah, that's not going far." By the way, that's why only thirty percent of your your workforce is engaged. The other seventy percent don't care. They show wow. up for the paycheck, right? <laughs> in fact. According to Gallup, 20% are actively disengaged, which means they're generating a toxic environment. So if you think that this is working, look at your workforce and the lack of engagement and come to the realization because it's true, it's not. And once you know that, do something different, engage people on an emotional level. By the way, that to me with the the remote work and the impact of the pandemic makes that more important than ever. Because I can actually escape some of that if I see you every day, right? We have a little socialization going on. But when I can't do that, when we're not face to face, I lose that opportunity. I better do something else. And that's taking you on the, the journey. And telling you how important you are as a part of that journey, telling you to be part of the purpose, establish what the purpose is. You know, Simon Simon Senek says it well. He says, the question everybody, the question everyone has but seldom asks, is why? Why do you want me to do that? Oh, it's because you're gonna pay me. Well, all right. I'll take my check, I'll do exactly what I have to do to get the check. Stop. That's why there's no. That's why we're seventy percent unengaged. They're they they don't they're not connected to the journey, the purpose.
0: Right. I interviewed yeah. a put um a woman a few weeks ago. Uh, Katie Matthews. She works for um the presentation company, and that's what they do is they help leaders learn how to. Tell the story, the the, the narrative. So taking figures and facts and charts and turning it into a journey of a human and you know why it matters. Um, and it was really interesting to think about that. Um, and like you're talking, it's almost like theatrics, but you have to to be able to engage with your your clients, your customers.
1: You do, and and it, one of the things that I recommend or did recommend was that leaders take an improvisation course. Really. Oh, absolutely. The interesting thing is my wife and I did this together and, and I am a strong advocate after doing that. First, she was fantastic at it and I was terrible. I'm a pretty good speaker and put me in front of a group and I'll just rattle on like now. I can just rattle on for hours right And I, I'm going to tell you something. The deal with improvisation is it's based on giving and taking. So you have to give someone takes, but then they give back. And based off of that, the performance goes. And my wife is a tremendous giver. I'm a tremendous taker. Problem was I'm not a tremendous giver. She could do both. And I struggled with it. And I learned, I learned by going through this process, how important it was to to make the conversation flow, to make it work, the relationship work, requires that give and take, literally. Mm-hmm. And so well, I even think you're
0: able to change the gears on a turn, like you weren't able to control where that story was going because there was another person involved.
1: Absolutely. And and, and it goes and it, it amazed me where it would go. You never knew. But isn't that isn't that the the uh, the the exclamation point on relationships? is we think we know where it's going to go and it goes someplace else but we're good because we're doing it together we're still moving together i look at that in the workplace and i go that's the relationship you want
0: Hmm.
1: i tell you that when we look for innovation and initiative we don't get it because they don't see any reason to provide it's not that they can't they see no reason to provide it in a give and take relationship they will give you initiative because it's a part of the thing just like the just like improv you it will it's going to be creative whether you like it or not unless you stop I mean you can stop it and not participate but if you're going to participate in in, in uh, improvisation it is creative inherently and I believe that that's the relationship we should be struggling with in the workforce instead of I'm managing you nobody wants to be managed by the way we've gotten over that. I'm managing you and as long as I can see you I, at work, I believe you're producing and 70% are not engaged. Okay, it's not working, the system's broken.
0: Adults need autonomy. Yeah. Uh, I It comes to, I, I remember a time when I was working and all of a sudden we got overwhelmed and they needed to mandate overtime, and they needed everybody to be willing to work, you know, to pick two hours a week extra that they could work and it was required. And man, to get those two, extra two hours felt like drudgery. But when at other times they said, Hey, we are overwhelmed. We need more help. Who was willing to volunteer? We will. Sometimes they would give us like a, an, an, an an award, um, maybe they would give us like you, if you work these extra hours during our extreme need, uh, we'll give you some time off at another time and you can have some, you know, and I was signing up right and left and I would work <laughs> six, eight, 10, 15 extra hours some weeks because I felt like I was needed and appreciated for being willing to step up to the plate, but it was really hard and it must've been a psychological thing. Those extra two hours when it was mandated, that sucked.
1: People don't want to be told. Like I said, no one wants to be managed. Uh, and again, if I come to you and our relationship is good, and I say, "Let me tell you why," right? Why I need this, and 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 that word that word need triggers a psychological response.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If, but first, you have to you have to feel the the relationship merits you responding to that need. But but you're absolutely right. Uh, what I find interesting is the 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 reward that employees are looking for is recognition they want to be recognized for the effort they're putting out we, we don't we say thank you when we're at, when we're in at dinner and someone passes passes us the salt we say thank you at the end of a hard day's work nobody says thank you they say you know what they say see you tomorrow that's like an invitation back to hell <laughs> It's been a miserable day. I I hate it. Oh, let me come back tomorrow and let's repeat this experience instead of, hey, look, do I appreciate what you've done today? Yes. How hard is that? And yet we don't do it. By the way, men in particular don't do it. Women are much better leaders, team leaders, because of the empathy. Guys have been taught not to be empathetic and they have to learn it. It's a skill set, but you need it today because of the situation with the pandemic and the impact it's had, Uh, you need to be more empathetic. And if you can't do that, learn it. But by the way, I, I, it's interesting to me how many people are quitting, right? The great resignation. This is a report card. It's a report card on the company where 50% of the employees quit. Wow. What are you kidding me? Instead of being upset about that, how, how about if you look at why they left Mm -hmm. It was more money? No, I guarantee you that was not the primary reason. Primary reason. And the research shows it. Gallup does an employee engagement, uh, every couple of years, everybody leaves 50% leave because of a bad boss dead bang 50%. Uh, Now, if you're not paying appropriately, and you don't have any benefits, uh, you know, it's a toxic workplace, but the toxicity of most workplaces are generated by your immediate boss. And that's it. And, and if you look at them, and you go 50% of your team left, it's on you. And I'm not going to tolerate that behavior, whatever it is. Uh, But I can guarantee you, you're, you're a, a command and control dinosaur from the industrial age. (laughs) And, and you are now extinct. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You are, they are, they will not survive. The pandemic gave everybody the opportunity to take a pause and say, am I satisfied with the way I'm being treated? Not with my job, the way I'm being treated. And if the answer was no, I'm bailing. Okay. Let's take a look at how we're treating people. They're not engaged because we are treating them poorly, right? We, we continue to hire the wrong people to be in charge. Gallup's poll, 85% of all managers are not appropriate for the position they hold. 85 hmm. percent That's because we promote the person who was a good individual performer and believe that they now have the skill set to be a leader. Mm-hmm. Completely different jobs, two completely right. different attitudes. Anyway, too much. I'm sorry. Well,
0: it makes me think about like, oh gosh, was it Chapman who wrote the Love Languages book? And I guess you have to find with work, it gets a little fuzzy, but like you can say an empathetic thank you at the end of the day and be sincere, but not be appropriately, you know, compensating your workers. And so there has to be like
1: Oh, there does. Uh, You you, you can't, you can't short. First, there's this thing called the internet that allows everybody to know what they should be making. Right. So don't think it's a, you know, this thing used to be, don't tell anyone I just gave you a raise because you know, that's secret. I'm like, what are you insane? First? Oh my God. uh, If you're a sales guy, you're telling everyone. Uh, But, but, but clearly people now know their value. And uh, and once they know their value, and you're not meeting that value, that's a problem. So yeah, if you are undervaluing your people and not giving them appropriate compensation and benefits, expect them to leave. Because mm-hmm. well, think about it. Amazon and Walmart are the two largest employers, and they have now. I, my friends and I used to have arguments about minimum wage being too low. The, the minimum wage has now been established at eighteen dollars an hour. Where but, you live no, yeah, well, because of Amazon, the marketplace is now dictating the minimum wage.
0: Mm.
1: it doesn't matter what the government says it is, it matters what the marketplace says it is, and the marketplace says eighteen bucks work for McDonald's fourteen dollars, right okay, uh, and I'm slaving away <laughs> in this sweatshop, uh, and I'm thinking. What am I doing this for I don't even get compensated so yes there is a balance
0: mm-hmm. yeah when when McDonald's is paying more than you're getting is it's, it's going to be a tricky one to to pull that off but Paul, let's it, talk, oh go ahead
1: no no that's fine
0: I think we should talk about your work from home journey
1: sure Uh, well i I said it earlier i've been working from home Uh, i've been socially distancing for over 30 years Uh, That's because i have a national coaching practice and therefore my clients are from california to new york and from chicago to florida Uh, and so i determined obviously that i was not as much as i love face-to-face coaching i wasn't going to work so i established phone coaching. It was like, okay, uh, is this, is this the best way to do it? No, but it's, it's the only way that I can do this. Uh, and so I established that early on, uh, heck. And so I've been doing it now since 2001 that I've been coaching by phone, uh, and it's effective. And I've managed to establish, obviously I've got myself a nice office. I've got a window, I get light. I figured out what had to be a part of my environment to allow me to do this. And and by the way, one of the problems with remote work is the fact that, that the environment that people have been forced into is not adaptable to work. It's a closet. Right. They've got it. They've got a fold away desk and and they've opened their, their laptop and they're in there. And of course, there's the dog and there's the kid and there's the wife. And by the way, uh, we have a life going on here. Your work just happens to be a part of it. Uh, you know, I'm fortunate enough, I can shut my door if my wife is home. I don't have any children, don't have any pets, but, but I've figured out the environment that I'm in dictates. To a great degree how i react and interact with people during the day Uh, by the way i i have uh, on some days i'll have eight coaching sessions so i have eight hours of coaching the, the guy who gets or the person who gets the eighth hour is entitled to the same level of enthusiasm and interaction as the first person in the morning do you
0: do them back to back
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I'll do back to back. And then I'll have a light week. This is a nice light week. After the holiday, people bail. They're like, I got things to do rather than talk to you. Okay, uh, so, but but yeah, I'll do back to back, start at seven o'clock in the morning, finish up at uh, three or four in the afternoon. and And because again, I'm a, I'm a big one about energy, and I am going to do a few things in every coaching session. And I believe that interaction is something you can plan, right? So one of the things is I'm going to be curious. I absolutely want to find out how you're doing this last couple of weeks. And maybe, and by the way, I don't, I don't reject personal issues because I, I believe you're the whole person. And if you're having difficulty at home, I guarantee you it will, it will overlap into the job. Need to talk about that, especially during the pandemic when everybody was at high levels of stress because of uncertainty. We all hate uncertainty, and the pandemic was the ultimate uncertainty, and with it, the possibility of death. So you know, talking to someone and talking to them about their family because suddenly the kids weren't in school. Yep. And everybody was here. And again, I wasn't set up for an office at home, right? And and I don't know how, I can't even, even though I want furniture, it's going to be six months before it gets here. So we dealt with all of that and dealt with how, what you had to do to survive this very unique experience, working from home, something most people didn't do. Now, over 40% of the working population can work from home. Prior to the pandemic, it was down to eight or nine percent who actually did. It changed, of course, it did. But but you also have to change your mindset because things are different. Uh, first, the level of socialization is gone. Zoom is fantastic, but we don't socialize the same way uh, as we would in the office. By the way, the interesting statistics show that the normal office day only has three or five hours of productive work why interruptions disruptions meetings phone calls that aren't productive all of the things that to a great degree went away when we were working at home uh so i look at it and i go the hybrid model i think is where we're going to go with this because i think you do the hard tasks at home and the soft socialization tasks for two days a week on site
0: did you say three to five hours
1: Oh, three, no, 3.5. 3.5, wow. Oh, yeah, yep. 3.5.
0: That, that sounds similar to things that I've heard about school. Uh, yeah. Kids at school oh. get about two hours of actual focused academic work, and that's one thing that homeschoolers will be like, we can do school in two hours,
1: and then can. Have the rest
0: of the day, yeah.
1: And, but it, it is the socialization factor, I think, at yeah. school that's more important because that's where kids are learning to socialize, right? Yeah. And that's extraordinarily important. I think that's where most families suffered or most children suffered because of the pandemic. Right. Uh, as a full-grown adult who has a job, uh, socialization can come to you in other ways, but the pandemic eliminated a lot of that. So certainly working from home was something that had to be overcome, adapted to. Uh, and I think that that people have, not everyone. I love the fact that, uh, that some people actually took a second job
0: <laughs> during the pandemic?
1: Oh, absolutely. Because you know why? They figured out that they that their actual work only took three or four hours a day. So they said, I'm going to get that done and I'm going to take another job.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Lawyers just were incensed by that. And I was like, why? They're taking advantage. If you have haven't established a job with the expectations that take up eight hours of their day. Why are you upset with them? Be upset with yourself. So yeah, but we've gone we've gone through this, this period. And by the way, I don't think it's over. Right? The pandemic is not through with us. We may no. the pandemic, but there's there's another. I look at it, I've been around long enough to understand how the flu is. Every year I get a flu shot has nothing to do with the flu that's coming. <laughs> it has to do with some protection based on the flu that, that just came, right? Because why? Well, the flu mutates and, and COVID is gonna mutate, it is mutating. So I'm not sure that we're done with this. Uh, and, and I assume that working from home is still going to be an issue because I think that returning to the office is based on the ability of the workforce to feel safe. And if you can't convince them that they're safe, they're not coming back. They'll leave. Well, it is suddenly a bigger issue than it ever has been. And employers are struggling with that because we don't know how to handle it. And managers definitely don't know how to handle it because now they have to deal with the family. And we've always separated a very clean cut between work and non-work now they've intermingled in a way that we can't avoid it why what happens there impacts work so when you take that and you look at 85 percent of the managers were terrible managers to begin with you got to do something to improve their level of empathy so they can interact especially remotely so we're, we're asking a lot of people who have not been given the training or development to do it. Companies have got to get this right. Otherwise, the work from home experience will never be as good as it can be.
0: What would you say to those managers right now? If you were to give them some suggestions, because they might be listening.
1: Sure. Well, first I would say you have too much on your plate and you may get you may be really good at managing a team the question is no one wants to be managed they want to be coached and led so let's talk about you going to your your supervisor and saying i need development i need If you want me to do this i need to have the training and development so i can actually do it because right now i'm doing a crappy job and i know it and my team knows it and by the way they weren't engaged before they're left they're leaving now it's not even they're engaged they're leaving and i need to stop them leaving because oh my god how do we get the work done uh, well we don't if they're not there so so the great resignation has now forced the issue of what the skill set should be for a team leader and it is absolutely different than it was pre-pandemic By the way, it should have been different pre-pandemic, but it wasn't forced. So the the industrial age concept of command and control Mm -hmm. continued to be how people managed and everybody just kind of took it. Now the pandemic has changed everyone's opinion about taking it. They're not gonna take it. Why? It's now about well-being, and I don't think you care about me enough. If you don't care about me enough, I'm gonna go someplace where they do. And that's where the great resignation starts to have impact. This is when companies say, all right, to stop this flow of talent, we need to change the way we interact with our workforce. And I said, and I didn't finish the the concept of my coaching, every coaching call. First, very curious. Second, I wanted to make you smile. So I would say anything, in fact, depends on who I was talking to, I would say something outrageous that I could tell by you either laughed or smiled because it gave you that break that you might not get during the day of putting out fires. Mm. So that to me is part of the leader's job is to, to make you feel better, take care of you, give you the resources you need, inspire you. And how about this? How about we actually celebrate a little bit? End of the week should be a celebration day. That should be the ugly sweater day, (laughs) right? Everybody's get to say, or, and and I'm going to gather everybody. And I know it's by Zoom, but by the way, Grubhub has just dropped off a meal for you. Oh my God, why? Because I want you to be feeling better about working here and for me. And so I want that slush fund that allows me to send you a meal. How about this? How about once a month, I'm going to send you and your family a meal because we're all there together. Concepts, very simple with me. Three, I believe the three A's, attraction, attention, appreciation. And attraction has nothing to do with how you look. It has to do with the positive energy that you put out to engage people. If you have positive energy and you're enthusiastic, you're competent, You've got to be competent in your job or people don't respect you. So as a leader, you want to be positive, enthusiastic. You want to be competent. You want to be likable and you want to be empathetic. That attracts people to you. The second part of that is attraction, attention. I'm going to pay attention to you. I'm gonna. I'm going to ask you how you're doing. By the way, two things: ask somebody how they're doing in the work context. It's basically about performance. Ask somebody how they're feeling. Completely different conversation. Words matter. So I'm gonna. I always. Say, by the way, we we've got to have performance, but that's a given, and I can track your performance most of the time. Do not put spyware on my camera all you're telling me is you don't trust me to do my job
0: that does not help morale
1: (laughs) oh no and and believe me i'm not an idiot i'll figure out how to do what i want to do except now i'm going to do it with a different intent right so no don't do that don't tell me you don't trust me to do my job if you don't trust me fire me i don't understand keeping somebody employed you don't trust Tell me what I need to do. Tell me what the expectations are. Give me the resources to do it. And then let me do my job. And by the way, the concept of you're going to pay me for hours is stupid. You should pay me for outcome. Isn't that what you want? I had a client that called me and said, I have a specific, someone told me to get in touch with you. I have a specific issue. Here's the issue. I need it resolved. I said, okay. I said, Uh, let me think about it. Now that I understand, let me think about it. I called him the next day. I said, here's the answer. And he was like, that'll work. Cool. I sent him the bill. He was outraged. He contacted me, said, how dare you send me that, that amount of, of, of the, for a bill. You only did this for a day. I said, were you paying me for my time? Because I could have stretched it for two weeks right? Or were you paying me for the outcome? He said, well, I I wanted the outcome. Think about the amount I charged you and the outcome and tell me, is it worth it? He said, yes. Let's not talk about hours anymore. That's not what I'm interested. I'm not interested in you being at work for eight hours, but only working three hours. What I see is I, I want the outcome. And if I get that, I don't care. If you want to work two jobs and still give me everything I want and need, why should I be upset? Well, by the way, would you be upset if if after the eight hours I had a part-time job? No. (laughs) Why? Well, that's not my time. Oh my God, your time? (laughs) that's what you're paying me for, you need to pay me more, right?
0: (laughs) So, so we're talking about the industrial mindset, like the tracking productivity yeah, so. and tracking time. And if you were to speak to these managers now, or I guess maybe the decision makers about such things, what paradigm shift are we looking at here?
1: We we need to go to self-directed teams. Self-directed teams have been shown to be innovative. They have initiative they work as a team. By the way, Google has done the research to show that the composition of a team is what makes it high performing. And we're looking for high performing teams. That's what we want, right? More out of the team. Self-directed teams suddenly have flexibility and they have autonomy. Those are two things that everyone craves. You still have to get the work done. And everybody knows that. So tell me what you want me to do. Give me the resources to do it. Tell me when it has to be done. And then leave me alone and I will produce, and we're going to do it by a team because that's how we do work, right? Everybody and teams will support each other more than they will support a a manager. I don't care about you as my manager. In fact, I might hate you. I love my team and I will not let them down. I will do my part to continue to belong to this team. So that's where the bonding is. So we've got a self-directed team, but we also know that other things matter. For instance, development is a big deal to expect a team leader or manager to be in charge of the team's development is stupid. they are not equipped for that. They don't know what that means. They haven't been trained for it. They've been trained to see how many widgets you produce that they're they're still back in the industrial age assembly line, watching you produce widgets, not doing that anymore. So if you want development, I'm going to send somebody out who specializes in development. It's their skill set. And I'm going to sit out with each individual team member and we're going to develop a package, a program for you that allows you to do what you tell me you want to do. Now, by the way, if you want to be a ditch digger, I'm absolutely okay with that. Why wouldn't I be? But also if we suddenly get a machine that digs a ditch, you need to be able to operate the machine, right? You've got to be relevant. But other than that, if you tell me I don't want to advance, I don't want to get promoted, I'm happy. I'm okay with that, but most people aren't. And so you take a specialist and you, you say your job is to go to every team in the company and develop programs for everyone who wants to get better, to improve. And that's your job. By the way, I'm going to send out another specialist. And that specialist is going to be, uh, about conflict resolution. And so if there's conflicts on the team and why wouldn't there be we're all individuals and you realize you have a conflict instead of fighting with each other you're going to call hr and say send the conflict resolver out and they're going to be what do they do they specialize in conflict resolution and they're going to come out and they're going to help you resolve the plot problem so we have all of these specialists that need to be the support system for the self-directed team. And when we need them, they show up. We need to have a facilitator. Why? We need resources. We're interacting with other teams. We need to have facilitation. Whenever we're having a dispute that between teams, we need a mediator. By the way, I'd like to have a coach. But, but to expect the, the manager to be a good coach they don't have the skill set Well, why are we doing this to the manager it's not because they don't want to be it's because they are not trained so guess what I want to have a coach good here's your coach. H- external coach is that what you're and,
0: talking about, of
1: course, yeah. yeah and you go i'm now your coach. You fulfill the needs of people in today's workforce by recognizing what they are, not telling them what they are, recognizing what they are, turn it into a self-directed team so they do the work, but then you give them all this extra stuff that they need through the specialists that are provided by the organization.
0: So earlier you said that manager could head to some training, development, are we talking about conflict re- resolution training and management uh, programs, or what kinds of things were you proposing there?
1: Well, it's, first, it's interesting that once you get back to Gallup, Gallup has shown that managers are as, as, as poorly engaged as the workforce. There's only 35% of managers who are engaged. The other 65% are either not engaged or actively disengaged. So first I'm going to weed out the working dead. If you, if you are not capable of performing on a self-directed team, and there are a lot of people who aren't, they want to be managed. Why? Because that means I don't have any accountability. You Tell me exactly what I have to do and I'm going to do it and then stop. I will have no initiative, no innovation, no creativity. I'm just going to do this work and collect my check. Sorry, not accept it anymore. You've got to be committed to the self-directed team. The same thing with managers, take a look at the managers and you go, if you have the personality to be a coach, we're going to develop you, train you. So that's your job and you will then become a coach. If you, if you've got the personality to be a facilitator, we're going to give you the training so you can do that right now to try to train a manager to do all of these things would kill them. They're not suited to all these roles. Nobody is. These are specialty roles. You start talking about development programs. They're like, uh, what the, I don't, I have no idea what that means. Of course you don't. Why would you, uh, by the way, I'm going to put you in charge of strategy strategy. What the hell? I don't think about strategy. I know how to execute to get something done. So we keep making their jobs so hard they can't do it. Their disengagement cascades down to the disengagement of the people on their teams.
0: Well, that goes back to when you said you have too many things on your plate.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think the managers, first, I don't believe a lot of managers, well, first, I've already told you that only a third of the managers are engaged. That means everybody else who's a manager is not happy. A lot of, you know how we promote people? They were really good as an individual producer contributor. We make them a manager and think that they now know the skill set to lead people. They don't. They struggle. They struggle. They don't know what to do. They first, they think they're going to do it all themselves right? So they try to work themselves to death. Then they become bitter because the team is not giving them what they want, right? They're not producing. Uh, and they, they can't understand why. And by the way, when they, before they were promoted, they were part of the team, right? I mean, you, you, we all talked together. We went out bowling on Friday. We went to each other's parties. I become the manager, I'm excluded. Sorry, you're one of them now you've now taken the, the pleasure that they had from being a member of a team away from them. Hmm. They struggle with us and we don't help them. See, this is back to throwing them into the deep end and hoping they can swim because they were dog paddling in the in the shallow part. So we figured you can swim the English Channel, go. Oh, right. And they're and, like, and they're I, know. like I, I know what to do here.
0: It sounds like a company culture thing, though, like not all companies are going to have that culture, but majority maybe do.
1: Well, of course. And by the way, again, back to the engagement issue, the engagement issue is across all industries, across all companies. When I do consulting on a uh, on a company wide basis, I I tell them 20 percent of your workforce is actively disengaged. They're creating toxic culture. Nobody believes that. We get all of the managers together and I go divide your team of 10 or 20 into three categories, committed employees, those that are absolutely not committed that you would fire yesterday if you could, and then you got the rest. They do it like that. They, I, they know who they are. One of my articles in Forbes is HR is the 21st century union. They stop managers from getting rid of people who need to be gone. And I understand that there's some reasons for that, but I also know that at some point everyone knows who the working dead are that are disengaged and toxic. They've got to go. They will infect everybody on the team. Hmm. And we keep giving everyone the same raise. It's like, you kidding me? everybody gets 3%. That guy didn't do anything. And he gets 3%. I'm busting my butt and I only get 3%. Talk about destroying morale. And when you get rid of one of the working dead, the first thing that the uh, team will ask you is why did it take you so long? And you're like, well, why didn't you tell me that? No, no, that's not our job. That's your job. You're the leader. You should be able to tell that that person is not doing the right thing. And by the way, once that happens, they also question the leader's competency. How could you let this go on? Good but question. then
0: there's also like the picking up the slack. Like now we have to do more work, so I have to replace that person.
1: Yeah. And yet, you you had mentioned it when when you were asked to do overtime. Yeah. It was okay. I guarantee you that getting rid of one of the working dead and you say, listen, it's going to take us two or three months to hire a replacement. They're like, not a problem. Mm-hmm. Having that person gone makes my day better.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's true. They'll tolerate, the team will tolerate that and to, to a certain degree. Obviously, they still want you to find a, uh, a replacement. But remember, we're really only working 3.5 hours a day.
0: <laughs> right, right, right.
1: We can pick up a little slack if we're motivated to do so.
0: Hey, I want to change gears. Um, I'll let you clear the air because you mentioned that you went to prison and we yes. didn't talk about that at all. So how did you end up being a coach? What happens?
1: Well, uh, first, again, I when I came out, I looked at my skill set and said, I'm never going to be a lawyer again. Uh, that's out of my gone, right, because I went to prison. And I said, "Well, I've got to do something." And even though I thought about being a barista, uh, I realized that that I would overcaffeinate and die. So, so uh, I looked at my skill set and I said, "Well, first, I've got the attorney skill set, which is very much uh, about critical thinking and communication." So I said, "Okay, th- those are valuable skill sets." Uh, but I also said, uh, "What else can I be?" And I looked at the two terms I've already used. I looked at the concept of being the fool, because I recognized that if I'd had a fool in my life and listened to them, probably wouldn't have gone to prison and the Someone other
0: who would have spoken truth to you?
1: Absolutely. If somebody had said, you're, you're associating with the wrong people who are doing bad things, what the hell is wrong with you? And by the way, do you understand the impact this is going to have on your family?
0: Oh yeah.
1: That would have been the hook. But I didn't think about it like that. And, and because of my self-destructive behavior, I obviously detrimental to my family, both financially and emotionally. I mean, by the time I got through defending myself in two trials, I left my family uh, financially destitute. Mm. prison, I had a, a wife and two sons in, in high school. I used their college education funds up. And I, and I, and I left them a uh, second mortgage on the house. Uh, just everything was terrible, but, but even worse was the emotional impact that they suffered from coming, from finding out I was a crook. Hmm. I mean, they didn't know. And when they knew, and, by, and this was a very public trial, the neighbors knew, the friends knew, the community knew, and the emotional impact was devastating. My, my mother actually told everybody I died. Rather than just believe me, that was the impact it had on her. Uh, Yeah. It it is that traumatic. Uh, So, so when I got out, I said, okay, adversity, resilience, those are two things that I now have in spades. I also have self-awareness. Two years realizing I put myself in prison. So the concept was, well, if I've got all these experiences and I've got these skill sets, I think that 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 would make me a coach for people who are in charge. Uh, And it is lonely at the top. And if you have somebody who's authentic and, and, uh, and is willing to be vulnerable and is willing to join you as a partner on a journey, then that's attractive to leaders. They can't get it within their organization. Most of the time, because there are too many barriers again, when the psychological safety isn't there Mm -hmm. an outside coach who understands your self-destructive behavior, because I'm going to identify your blind spots. And, and as leaders, if you can't see your blind spots, that doesn't mean other people don't. And they will take advantage of those blind spots to their own uh, betterment. So, so I've now got that experience to say, look, you're not going to me, and if you're serious about this, then you're going to benefit from this this relationship, this interaction. Uh, so it it just worked its way out, and 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 I put myself out there, and I told my my. Uh, I I had a, as I put my website together, uh, I said, well, I need to have a page that talks about being in prison. And the guy was like, oh no, you can't do that. I said, you know, there's this thing called Google (laughs) that that all you have to do is put in my name and guess what? Uh, It's not like this is a secret. It can't be a secret. We have no more secrets. And I said, second, I'm not doing that. And if people, that's a part of the package.
0: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so, by the way,
1: there are people who are turned off by that. I'm okay with it.
0: Yeah. You're like, I've got transferable skills, man.
1: <laughs> exactly. And either you believe that or, or you don't. And all I'm saying is we should have a conversation and based off of that, make a determination. And by the way, the political reality enters into this. Public companies are not going to hire me because it's hard to justify hiring an ex-felon as a coach. The optics are bad. So my practice is with family-owned businesses in the distribution and uh, in green industry. OK. And and family, I think I mentioned family-owned businesses are more dysfunctional than most.
0: Yeah. Works well. You found your niche.
1: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I think everyone should. You cannot be everything to everyone does not work. You need to be who you are and find those people who appreciate that. It's a That's a journey of discovery. Most people struggle with finding their job, the one that they really want. I call it their dream job. Mm-hmm. Keep trying to satisfy somebody else. Got to satisfy yourself. Now, I understand you also have to eat, I'm not an idiot, right? <laughs> like at some point, I was like, baristas, here I come. If I can't, Working, but it worked. I stuck with it. Uh, but, but people who are struggling with their career need to understand that most of the time they're taking jobs that are satisfying other people. You Can't do that for long. It's toxic.
0: Well, this is speaking to me directly. I am in a transition myself right now. So good to weigh that. I wanted to ask you one last question before you wrap it up. And sure. um, I'm looking at the clock, right? Just making sure you're good.
1: <laughs> I am.
0: Okay. Um, you have cool. been doing phone conversations and now this is the age of Zoom. Are you still doing phone? Are you able to hear the nuance that you need from Oh, absolutely. Phone?
1: I leave it? I leave it up to the, uh, the individual. I don't mind doing Zooms, uh, mm-hmm. but I found that it doesn't really make a lot of difference. Mm-hmm. I've done it for so long by phone that like I said, I think I'm attuned uh, to, to voice, energy in the voice, hesitation, all of the things that I'm listening for be apparent within that first 30 seconds.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I have Zora. some similar experience. I was teaching, yeah. sorry, I just <laughs> steam no. rolled over you. I was teaching ESL um, and I was having conversations with adults. Um, with the kids, they were always on camera. Uh, for one of my companies, the other company, it was optional, and the adults never had camera, and some people really were turned off by that. And I got used to it really quickly. And you really can—it's almost like you're focusing in your head in a different way than you would be if you're distracted by what you're seeing in front of you.
1: Absolutely, and uh, I tell you know. And by the way, we are so good at this, human beings, that when someone, when you're talking to someone, they know when you're looking at emails.
0: Uh, yes <laughs>
1: they do and yep. and i i tell everybody when i say i start off my every conversation by smiling because the person can feel the smile through the phone mm-hmm. and i know that that's weird but it also obviously it's tone of voice but you if you don't start off with a smile start off with a frown that's that comes across too mm-hmm. so certainly i actually have a little mirror here that before I- <laughs> Call. I'm like okay, uh, because I want you know. I, you at first, obviously, you have to take some pride in your own appearance. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're in the house, don't have any pants on, but they. But from the from the waist up, you know put on something that makes you. Why? It's professional. Yeah. Be a professional, but understand that people will know how and what you're doing, even if they can't see you.
0: Well, another thing that goes with that actually is with a phone, there's less likely to be the technical, um, technological barrier, the, the, the tech problems, the, oh my gosh, my camera and my, you know, microphone aren't working or something like that with a phone call, you can dive in. And oftentimes in Zoom, and this happened with me, I think it might've even been when I met with, um, that lady I mentioned earlier from the presentation company, Katie is her or someone else around that. We we started off with a with a problem, like right away. And like we just like immediately went into troubleshooting mode instead of like greeting each other and like saying hello. Absolutely. And it does it does change that like I don't know, the that first 30 seconds is important and it can start off like that. Yeah.
1: I, I have all sorts of little axioms and one of them is technology will screw you every chance it gets. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so simple simple for me is better. But I'm I'm open, obviously I'm open to Zoom, doesn't really matter to me. Uh but but I don't think that it impacts what I do one way or the other. Okay. Uh, I understand some people are much more visual, uh, and I'm okay with that too. So yeah, but a majority of my clients are used to the phone, mm-hmm. not used to Zoom. Yeah. So yeah.
0: I usually wrap up by asking if you have any advice for someone who is thinking about working from home for the first time, something that you have overcome that has anything you want. What do you think?
1: Well, I yeah, I think that that it, that self-care is huge uh, for anyone, but especially for people who work at home. Uh, first, you may start to feel isolated, right? Nobody else is around. I mean, I'm doing this all day long. There's nobody else here. Uh, and, but if you're new to this, this is disconcerting. And, and uh, you, you may find that you're not taking care of yourself. It's very. I tell people, I do not appreciate pandemic pounds and, and I don't understand them because from my, my perspective is, because of all of the stress that is associated with doing this from home, and there is more stress, All right. You're, you're doing a transition from the office to your home. You're not properly set up. There's all sorts of stress that goes with us. When the family's there, when the pet's there, all of that is stress induced. Uh, You've got to be able to take care of yourself. And that requires you to do a certain thing. I believe there's very simple, but difficult. First, you have to eat correctly and drink correctly. Right. And and that doesn't mean you can't have a drink, but it doesn't mean you can't have five drinks. Uh, Why? Are you supposed to be working the next day? I'm just curious if, if this is Friday night will be. Have at it. But if you're getting ready to work, don't don't think that this does not have an impact, a negative impact on your ability to perform. It absolutely does. So, so don't do that. Don't do the self-debilitating things that we do. Uh, everybody got into comfort food as if it was an entitlement that came with the pandemic. Right? Oh my God, it's a pandemic, I get to eat more stuff, cookies, how many cookies can I eat? Stop that. Why? It has an impact on your ability to perform. I'm sorry, it just does. We're, we're, we're a, I don't know where I heard this, we've got a meat sack attached to our head, right? And, and believe me, if the meat sack is not feeling good, your mind is not going to overcome that physical disability that slows you down, if nothing else. So eat correctly, drink correctly. What else? Sleep. I mean, I think we've all heard about the importance of sleep and those people who ignore that because the research, I'm a research geek. The research is absolutely spot on about you don't get enough sleep. It's as if you're drunk. That's how slow your reaction becomes. Is that really what you are into here? I mean, come on. You're supposed to be showing you are capable of doing the job. Get enough, sleep, right? If you think you if you think you're still in college cramming for the test, uh, time to wake up and be an adult, okay?
0: <laughs>
1: it's not working now. So get your seven, eight hours do it in that room that it gives you the ultimate opportunity the sleep experience right the new mattress block out all the lights i mean everybody knows what to do but by the way it's like managing everybody knows what to do we just don't do it so sleep the third thing is exercise you've got to get rid of stress all of this is is getting rid of stress and doing a better job high performance You've got to get rid of stress. One of the best ways to do that is exercise. I'm a firm believer in outside exercise. Mm -hmm. You know, I go to the, I'm a gym rat. I go to the gym every day, Uh, but I walk through the woods. I've got a woods very close every day, 40 minute walk through the woods. And everybody's like, well, I don't have that time. You don't have the time not to have the time. To be able to de stress, otherwise, it will break you down. When we talk about mental issues, mental well being, this, this is because we're not eliminating stress from our life. And it's very stressful lives. I understand why, but you've got to mitigate it by doing these other things instead of just letting it take over. Instead of becoming a slug on the couch, mm-hmm. Netflix loves us. We, we just sit there and watch whether we like it or not. No, don't do that. Get up, get out.
0: Well, this brings us full circle because you've talked about rest, exercise, diet, how you eat, and then the relationships aspect, like the, nope. the toxic relationships and how much that drains us. Because it's not easy to just take out stress.
1: <laughs> no. And, and I believe we are what we consume. And when I say that, I believe relationships are about consumption, okay. as well as liquor and food and rest. We are what we consume. By the way, we also what we I, I, I hate social media. I'm an old fogey about this. I think that it's detrimental because everybody has a, uh, a megaphone and an opinion. Uh, and if you if you go down that rabbit hole, it will have a detrimental impact on you. So we. Mm-hmm conscious about what we consume, on social media, what we watch on television. I mean, these are things that we need to be cognizant of because it's so easy to get mindless about this. And we talk about being mindful, being mindful means being aware, self-aware. And we need to look at these areas of our life and evaluate, are we living our life appropriately. Uh, once again, end of the year is a good time to do this. Take a look at your diet. You take a look at your, your exercise. You do all of those things. Then you take a look at your relationship. Then you take a look at how much of news information am I consuming? Do I need that much? How about if I cut back a little bit and spend more time, I don't know, walking, <laughs> So, so it's, it's a requirement if you are going to be a good team leader or a good team member. If you want to be a good team member, you've got to do the things necessary to support your team. And that will make you feel better, you're contributing. They've actually come out with a term that's irritating to me, languishing yeah i know uh, but but that's what that's apparently what gen z's and millennials are doing they're languishing and i'm like what are we in victorian england uh, we don't we don't need to languish because i believe that the remedy for languishing is action do something do something positive don't languish language is inaction and I get it. You got to sleep. I don't, you know, if you want to veg, I'm okay with that. But, but languishing just has such a detrimental feel to it and it's within our control. how well we want to treat ourselves.
0: I was really proud of myself today. Um, before we got on this call, I had about five minutes and I set a timer. <laughs> I set a five minute timer and I'm like, I will just check my email and my social media stuff. And when the timer goes off, I'm done because I have to snap myself out of it because otherwise it's easy to just like basically wallow in oh, you know all absolutely. of the stuff that's happening but speaking of which if you're not really <laughs> big into social media how will people find you
1: Ah, I'm pretty easy to find a uh, website obviously uh, is uh, is primary uh, or my email it's Paul at paulglovercoaching.com uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn Paul Glover and Paul Glover coaching that's how people can find me uh, if, if they're looking,
0: um, and it's G L O V E R, yes, Glover Glover,
1: yep, okay, yep. Glover.
0: got it. All right, well, thank you so much, Paul. I am so glad that we got to speak today. I think we might have broke a record and we went for a long time, <laughs> but I think uh, it's all good. So,
1: well, and I, and I wanted to say one more thing I, I, I wrote a book and uh, i didn't used to be proud of the book i am now because it's become much more relevant because of uh, what we've been talking about and so i'd like to offer your your audience the opportunity to buy my book contact me and show me that you purchased it and i will reimburse you the purchase price uh, that way, I appreciate the fact that you've allowed me to uh, to interact with you and also with your audience. And I would like to make that offer. And I think they'll find the book. Obviously, if I didn't think they'd find it interesting, I'd say don't. But but I think you'll find it useful and uh, as a corollary to our conversation today.
0: What is it called?
1: Workquake. 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 Like Work-quake.
0: earthquake. Okay.
1: Quake. Uh, yeah, it is. A, it is. It was talking about the uh, the change in the work uh, environment, uh, and it was 10 years ago and nobody wanted to hear it.
0: Right, I editor, okay.
1: I said, I said, nobody's gonna read this book. Uh, he said, well, maybe soon. 10 years later, I'm like, everybody should read this book. So.
0: It's timely now. It is. Um, Amazon, where do we find it on your website?
1: Amazon, uh, not my website, but just go to Amazon. Uh, There's someone, by the way, I trademarked Workquake. Someone else is using it, Uh, so uh, I'm not upset necessarily, but when you go, make sure it's Paul Glover Workquake and not the other Workquake.
0: Got it, okay, well, thank you so much. This has been Paul Glover with April Malone and Yes, I Work From Home, and we will see you next time. Thank you so much.